0: We've been having fun. How many have enjoyed SoulPrint? You've been enjoying this message. How many have been here for a good, I think many of you have been here for a good amount of time, this entire series. And, uh, Pastor, uh, Mark Batterson, author, he's just a fantastic writer and teacher. We encourage you to look up some of his other books. Just some, you'll, you'll be blessed, uh, by the work that he's done. And we've been enjoying Pastor and I tag team teaching. It's good for me to be back on Wednesday. I've been out a couple of weeks, uh, you know, Wednesdays, but I'm, I'm happy to be back for this. And it's just been just a wonderful study tonight. We're going to talk, the the message title is The White Stone. The White Stone. And this is the conclusion. This series has really been about discovering who God has meant for us to be. It's been about stepping out into our destiny, about looking at our life to kind of see what God has been up to in our life. Who is it that God has created us to be? And tonight we're going to talk about this white stone. We're going to get to that in a minute. But shortly after, David had become the king, and he settled into his palace in Jerusalem. The Bible says there was peace in the land. You know, how many know it's, it's good? That's probably a good feeling for a king, right? He's he settled in. There's been some battles. There's been some struggles. But now he's in a palace, and there's peace. And the Lord speaks to David through the prophet Nathan. And he delivers this glorious covenant promise to David. God is like, David, I'm proud of you. David, I'm so happy that you have a heart that seeks after me. David, here's what I'm going to do. And he delivers this promise. It's a promise that would establish a great dynasty of kings, one that would last for all time you imagine getting this? Uh, just put yourself, if you can even think about it, in the feet of David right now. Just imagine this in your mind's eye. Y- here you've, you've made it. You've, you've followed the Lord. You've been faithful to God. You've had these great victories. Now you're in the palace. It's peaceful. And God says, I am going to establish a line of kings through you, David. And this line is going to last forever and all time. Wow. I mean, he's thinking about this and he's, and he's sort of starting to just really chew on what this prophet is, is saying to him. And it's beginning to sink inside of David's heart. Here's what the scripture records after David listens to the words of the prophet Nathan. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And let me read this to you. It says in verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the lord and he prayed after he hears these words he says this to god who am i o sovereign lord and what is my family that you have brought me this far and now sovereign lord in addition to everything else you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty do you deal with everyone this way o sovereign lord Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Wow, can we just praise him for a minute? How many would say with King David, there is no one like you, God. We haven't even heard of another God like you. Come on, let's praise him in this place. Lord, we love you, God. We praise you, God. God, there is no one like you, Lord. We praise you. You are a good God. Lord, you are an amazing God, the sovereign Lord. God, we thank you for your promises. We believe them to be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our God is so good. You know, I love this. David begins in this, you know, he hears this incredible promise from God, this covenant, and he goes in and he sits down in the presence of the Lord. And, and you know, the first thing he deals with here is he asks this question, Who am I? That's what he says in this prayer. Who am I? Who am I? More importantly, he asks God that question. He doesn't ask himself that question, who am I? He doesn't ask Nathan, who am I? He doesn't ask the palace servants, who am I? He sits in the presence of almighty God, the sovereign one, and he says, who am I? And this is the beginning of self-discovery. This is where any of us, if we want to know what we were designed for, if you want to know your soul print, then you've got to sit in the presence of God and you have to ask God that question, who am I? Who am I? How many know that he created you, that he designed you, that he is the author of life? He had you thought up before you ever were, and he had your life planned out. He knew your steps. He ordered those steps. Amen. And he had it designed for you, the person that he wanted you to be. And you are unique. You are one of a kind. And he had that thought up. He is amazing. We can ask many people the question, who am I? But there is only one who will have an omniscient answer, and that is God. If David asked that question to his father, Jesse, you know, his father would probably say, oh, you're a shepherd, you know, nothing more, nothing less. His father did not see his potential, and neither did his brothers, by the way, right? I mean, they would have said, well, David, you're just an errand boy. You're like a grilled cheese sandwich deliverer. That's what you're going to do. You're the the smallest of us, you know, and you're just going to continue to, you know, tend the sheep and bring us grilled cheese. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, not be a warrior on the battlefield. They didn't see their brother that way. Saul what did he say to add insult to injury when David came and said, who is this Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? You know, David's like, I'll take care of it. All these other Israelites are chickens, you know, even my brothers. He, and what did Saul say to him? He said, you're just a boy. You're just a boy. Man, how many times in your life has anybody said something like that to you? Maybe not those exact words. Maybe they are the exact words, but you're just a boy. Oh, you, you don't qualify Oh, you're not big enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. Man, Nobody believe, I don't believe you can do it. You don't have what it takes. You're just a boy. Good thing he didn't ask, his, his, ask Saul who he was. What about Goliath? Man, he would come out to the enemy. Who am I? You know, Goliath said, no, you're dog food. You're bird food. That's all Goliath could say to David. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chop you up and feed you to the wild animals and the birds. You're just dog food. You're you're all you are is bird food. So good thing he didn't ask Goliath that question. None of them knew who David really was or who he would become. Good thing he didn't ask them. Instead, he asked that question to whom it really matters. He sits in the presence of the sovereign Lord. And he says, who am I? Who am I? I don't know where you're getting your confidence from or where you're getting your esteem from or any of those things. But I want to challenge you tonight to stop getting those things from yourself. Don't sit and ask yourself. Don't sit and ask somebody else. Don't get down to Barnes and Noble and get into the self-help section just to find out who you are. Don't go ask a new age person. Go get your palm read or anything else. What you need to do, and you know, a lot of, it's amazing how many Christians know their astrological sign. What are you? I'm a Pisces, uh, you know, or whatever. Who cares what your stars are? That means nothing. Right. What you need to do is get in the presence of Almighty God, and you need to ask Him, Who am I? God, what have you designed me for, Lord? I want to be what you have designed me for. I don't want to be somebody else. I want to be me. God, I don't want to waste my life. How many know life is short? Life is precious, right? You only have one life to live in this flesh to make a difference for God. So the sooner you stop getting your esteem from yourself and everyone else, the better off you will be. And you'll be on the path to being who God has destined you to be, which is the very best. You that you could live. Amen. Oh, man, I hope you're hearing this tonight. Here's the secret. If you want to know your soul print, your destiny, you can only discover it by sitting in the presence of the Lord. Whew. Man, I would to tell you something, you know, we've had lockdown, we've had shutdown, we had online all summer long, now we're back to the in-service, but not everyone's back with us yet because of, you know, being safe and trying to stay healthy, but let me tell you something, you need to make an altar at your home, you need to be in a place in your car, you need to be in a place where you can sit in the presence of God, you don't necessarily need the sanctuary here to be in God's presence, Life is not on hold right now. I mean, we might be in a weird situation, but guess what? The whole world is in the same basket. How about that? It's not just the United States. It's all over the world. Everybody's in this situation. But you need to make a place where you can sit in God's presence so that you can hear from the sovereign Lord and you could talk to him about your life and his purpose for you so that you could be about his business. We don't have time to waste. COVID isn't stopping the mission of God. The mission of God must carry through. In fact, I think it becomes more urgent. Hello? It becomes more urgent. If there's people that are sick, if there's people that are afraid, man, we sang that. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see a victory. Man, the battle belongs to the Lord. Man, it is God who takes care of all our fears. Amen? And if there are people afraid right now, which there are many people afraid around the world right now over a disease, what is that? They're afraid of dying. Is the Christian ever afraid of dying? Some Christians are. But should we? What is dying anyway? Dying just means we go to be with the Lord. I mean, you know, dying is our hope that we could be with Jesus forever. This body is fading away. This body is decaying day by day. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Covid or no Covid. Right? So, praise God, we need to get in his presence so that we can figure out what our soul print is, what our destiny is, and we can be about our Father's business right now. If we try to find ourselves outside of a relationship with our designer, then we will wind up with a mistaken identity. There are too many people, including Christians, who are living in a mistaken identity. They missed it. They missed the will of God. They decided what they would like to do, or they decided what somebody told them they should do. They just decided to take an easy route, maybe. They decided to take a comfortable route, maybe. Whatever they did, they avoided the will of God. Many people have heard from God when they were even young, and they heard a voice, and they heard God say, go do this, but they never did it. They refused to obey God. They are not living in their destiny. They are not living in the soul print. And what's really a shame is some of those folks eventually come around in life to finally get to where they say, okay, God, I surrender, but their life has gone by. Now they're limited. The potential of what they could have been and what they could have done is already slipped away from them because time has gone by, and now there are different limits. Now there are different consequences. Listen, don't be that person. And and let me tell you something, it starts now. So I'm going to say, if you are one of those people who your life has slipped by and you heard God tell you one thing, redeem that time now. How many know God can redeem it? It's better to start now than to never start. Start now with God. There will be reward for that. The obedience comes. How many remember the parable Jesus taught, right, about those workers? I mean, the ones that came at the end of the day got paid the same as the ones that came at the beginning of the day. I believe that still applies. That applies. So get right with God today. The final mystery is oneself, observed Oscar Wilde in his letter, uh, De Profundis. When one has weighed the sun in the balance and measured the steps of the moon and mapped out the seven heavens star by star, there still remains oneself. Who can calculate the orbit of his own soul? <laughs> I would say God, the providential one. With over 7 billion planet, uh, people roaming the planet, it can be very easy to think of yourself as little and insignificant. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just one in many, many, many people just around the world. I don't know who I, you know, I, I'm, I'm insignificant. I'm little. I'm unimportant. But here's what God wants you to know right now. You are invaluable and irreplaceable. Would you receive that from the Lord? Not from me, but from the Lord. Hear God. You are invaluable and irreplaceable. I think we all need to hear that. And I believe you will hear that. Sit in the presence of God. He'll affirm that to your soul. You are invaluable and you are irreplaceable. He needs you. He needs you now. He needs you to live for him in the flesh, not to live in the flesh, but according to the spirit, but he needs you in body form. He gave you the body you're in and he needs you to live for him. Because he has a purpose for you, and he has souls to reach, and he wants to reach them through you. You are invaluable, and you are irreplaceable. Each one of us is that way. God loves us uniquely. Why? Because each one of us is unique. Wow. He loves us all differently. He loves, he loves, get this, he loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Why? Why? Because there is only one of us. How many understand that? Each one is different. God loves each one. And he loves us all differently because he designed us that way. It's like someone that's super creative or someone that likes cars. You know, Cal likes cars or... If you had a car, you would love that car for a certain reason. And then if you had another car, you'd give maybe a little bit different design, a little different engine, a little different look. to it. But you'd love that car too, but you love it differently. But you love them all because they're unique. And God feels that way about over the 7 billion people on planet Earth and all the people who have ever lived in the past. He loves them. So I want you to feel the love of God tonight. You are one of a kind, you are invaluable, you're irreplaceable. His love for you is unlike his love for anyone else. There is no one, listen to this, and here's, here's one of the things that he's destined us for. There is no one who can worship God like you can. That's, right. That's, right. That's not like a, a narcissistic thing. You know, it's not like I'm sitting there going, no one like me. I'm the best worshiper there is. You know, nothing like that. But, but God is saying that I've created you to worship me. I've created you to give me glory with your life, and it's going to be good for you, and it's going to give God glory. So he's saying, you can worship. No one can worship like you. God needs you to worship him with your life. He needs that because he designed that. That gives him great pleasure. Batterson writes this, the best form of worship is becoming the best version of who God has created you to be. Worship is more than a lifestyle. Worship is life. Anthony, Pastor Anthony, worship is life. That's what it is. When it comes to self-discovery, you'll only end up in one of two destinations. You either end up worshiping yourself, or you'll end up worshiping God. One of the two. The, what the difference is? It's it, what the path you take will determine is determined by who you spend time with and how you view your uniqueness. So whether you come out worshiping yourself or whether you come out worshiping God, it's it depends on who you're spending your time with. Who are you receiving the self discovery from? Because all paths outside of spending time in the presence of God will lead to the worship of self. How many of you know if you want a technical definition of Satanism, it's not people that worship the devil, actually. In fact, Satanists don't even believe in a real devil. Did you know that? Anton LaVey wrote the book, you know, the book of, the book of darkness or whatever is the sa- worship book of Satan. The, a real Satanist is a worshiper of the self. That's what Satanists believe. There is no God. I am God. I worship me. I satisfy my own pleasures. I gratify my own nature. And that is a good thing. That's what they believe. For you to gratify yourself is the best thing you could do. So that's what real Satanism is. It, so it's no wonder that God of this world, you know, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds and hearts of, of people who don't know God, but that's why they worship Himself. But if you will spend time in the presence of God, then you end up worshiping God. You find out who you are in His presence. Amen? So you can either grow your ego or you can allow self help to become self destructive. Or you could see your uniqueness as a gift from God that needs to be managed for God's purposes. In other words, stewarded. You could say, I am one of a kind. I am unique. Not because I'm so good and I get to worship me. But I'm unique and one of a kind, and that is a gift from God that I need to manage for God's glory. That's, that's the thing. And so we, how do you see your uniqueness? In 2nd Samuel 7:22 this is exactly what David does. He declares this, "How great you are, O sovereign Lord." Not me. He, he says, who am I? But he says, how great you are, O sovereign Lord. And I think that's what we all got to come down to. It's not, you know, some of, many of you have different talents. Many of you have different abilities. In fact, you do. You have different gifts because the Bible says he's given us all different gifts. And we're all part of one body. We're all unique. But it's not about your uniqueness and praise you and thank you for all your gifts. It's about how good God is and he uses your gifts to bless others. And to build his kingdom. Your soul print is the truest reflection of God's image. He created you in his image. So who you really are is the truest reflection of his image. Wow. Think about that. So that's not about being puffed up and arrogant and narcissistic. That's about praising God. Giving him the glory for what he created. Woo. That's amazing, huh? Your soul print is very complex. It contains who you are, the president. Not the president. (laughs) Did I say president? It contains who you are, the present. All right? That was funny. Who you were, the past, and who you will become, the future, all at once. All those things. Frederick Buchner described it this way. Beneath the face, uh, I am a family plot. All the people I have ever been are buried there The bouncing boy, his mother's pride, the pimply boy, and a secret sensualist, the reluctant infantryman, the beholder at dawn through hospital plate glass of his firstborn child. All these selves I was, I am no longer. Not even the bodies they wore are my body any longer. How many say amen to that, right? All right. And although when I try, I can remember scraps and pieces about them, I can no longer remember what it felt like to live inside their skin. Yet they live inside my skin to this day. They are buried in me somewhere, ghosts that certain songs, tastes, smells, sights, tricks of weather can raise. And although I am not the same as they, I am not different either because their having been then is responsible for my being now. Wow. Now that was something that you'd have to get the book to go back and read that and really ponder. But that was deep. We are also all the people that we will one day be. But while we are clothed in human flesh, it is hard to see the majesty and the mystery of who we truly are. There's going to come a day when all of that will be revealed. One day, God will call us by a new name. One day, we will be given a name that only we will understand. A name that was decided for us before we were even born, but only revealed after our death. How would you begin to think about this? Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. And some may have never seen this or caught this before, but listen to this. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. How many like God's food, the manna food? That will be better than any earthly food, right? But he says this, and I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. God is going to give us the stone. If we're part of the victorious and if we belong to Jesus, we are part of the victorious. But he'll give us the stone and there'll be this name. No one will understand it except for us. Why? Because we are so different. God has made us so special and unique that when he gives us this name, no one else will understand it, but we will. No one else has ever lived inside our mind. No one else has ever lived our life through our completely through us, observed every thought of our life and every fear and every excitement, everything that's ever, ever been on in our mind about what God has said to us. We haven't shared 100% of everything with anybody, only God. And when God shows us that name, we're going to get it. All of a sudden, everything begins to make sense. All of a sudden, we realize... The name that God has given us perfectly describes who we are. How many know names have meanings? And especially in the Bible. How many understand that? Everything has a name. Everything has a meaning. And if you're just a lover of of language and you just love etymology and looking back at the history of names. I don't know if anybody are really geeky like me, but I like getting on thesaurus.com and dictionary.com, and I look down all the way to the bottom, the etymology of these words. Where'd they come from? Oh, that was Anglo-Saxon. You know, oh, that was, way, that was French. Or, oh, that came from the Germanic languages. You know, those kinds of things. And all these languages have things in common, but they all have meaning. And most names have a very big meaning to them. They represent something. And Hebrew is no different. The Hebrews named their kids after things that were super important. God's names mean things. God had many different names in the Hebrew to represent who he was, to describe his character. And that's what this white stone is going to do for you. When you see that name, you're going to immediately understand. Wow. this is it. It all makes sense now who I am. It all makes sense now why he created me. Wow. It's a perfect name for me. Perfect name. I can't wait for that day. What makes our life worth living? It's not the number of breaths we take, but it's about the moments that take our breath away. Heaven will be filled with moments like this. Heaven will be filled with breathtaking moments. That's our God. He's going to wow us and awe us at every turn. We're going to, I think we're going to spend an eternity going, whoa, whoa, whoa. No wonder we're going to worship for all eternity because there's so much to know about God. And when we see him as he is, woo, when we finally see Jesus face to face, we will be so blown away. And it's going to be one day after the next, one moment after the next. Oh, my goodness. How good is God? Batterson says this, our glorified senses will absorb the glory of God in unearthly ways when we stand before Jesus. We will see awe-inspiring sights previously imperceptible to the human eye. We will hear angels' voices in an octave previously imperceptible to the human ear. Even our glorified olfactory bulbs will detect aromas that's our noses, okay? That will make us forget every airport Cinnabon that we've ever walked by. Whew. Man, how many of you love steak? I love steak. Guess what we're having for New Year's? We do this every year for tradition. We have crab legs and steak. Mom said she already bought the crab legs, the big old monster kind. <laughs> And I can't wait to have those with butter. Nothing's better than the smell of steak and crab legs and butter. That's, I love that. I'll say it besides Italian food. I really love Italian. I married an Italian. Oh, I got to quit talking about steak and crab. Okay, we'll move on. But you get it. That's going to be nothing, though, compared to what the smells of heaven will be like the manna from heaven. Now, manna sounds disgusting like an oatmeal or something, you know, the way the Bible describes, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to be a wonderful smell, a wonderful taste, something that's going to bring even more life to us, I believe. I mean, it's amazing. The greatest, most breathtaking moment of all, however, will be when we see Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says it like this, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Whew. We don't even know Jesus all the way yet. I mean how many of you like man I know God he's my lord yeah we have a limited understanding we have a limited viewpoint we have not yet seen him as he is we've only seen a glimpse <laughs> Ha! How many of you've ever been in the times where you've been at the altar? You know, whether at church or whether in your home, and you've been blown away by God's presence. You have just been blown away. You've been crying till snot coming out of your nose, and you know your tears are running down your cheeks, and you just don't know how any better you could feel because either you've repented or God has shown you something, and God has blessed your life, and you're just like, I don't want to get out of this situation. I want to stay right here in God's presence. Have any been there? Man, I've been there. It feels so good, and you feel so close to God, and you know God. But listen, the Bible says we haven't even seen him yet as he is. Man, I can't wait for that. That is going to blow us away. The second moment will be when we hear our Heavenly Father call us by our new name, and he hands us that white rock. It will be a name that we've never heard before, but when we hear it, everything comes into clear picture. Suddenly, the entire our entire life makes sense. Your soul print will finally be given its true name, and names give us meaning, especially nicknames. How many know God was big into nicknames? Jesus was in the Bible. You see, He looked at Simon, and He called him Peter, which means rock. He called James and John, not just James and John, but sons of thunder. How about that one? Woo! Where's John? Is there John in here? Where's John? Oh, he's doing security. But me and John, we're the sons of thunder, all right? That's going to be good. Those new new names revealed their God-given potential buried under the current version of themselves. That white stone will be so special it will hold the perfect name. More than five decades after King David's death, Asa was established as the king of Judah by God after his father, Abijam. Asa did not become king... Because of his father's righteousness, however. Abidjan, the Bible says, did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was Esau's dad. So God did not anoint Esau king because of his father. If anything, it should have ended there, right? But he anointed saw king for a different reason. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. It says this in verse 4 But for David's sake, the Lord his God allowed his descendants to continue ruling, shining like a lamp, and he gave Abijam a son to rule after him in Jerusalem. For David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. We know that story. He took, he took uh, Bathsheba away from Uriah and had Uriah killed on the front line of battle. But other than that, Scripture says he had done right in the sight of the Lord, and therefore he covenanted promise with David that he would have a dynasty of kings that would last forever. Asa was anointed as king, not because of his father, but because of David. David's faithfulness to God. Sometimes the blessings that we enjoy are not the result of anything we have done, but the result of someone else's faithfulness who came before us generations ago. I don't know what your story is in particular, but maybe you didn't have godly moms and dads. Maybe you didn't have a godly grandfather. But I'm going to tell you something. God has something special and unique for you because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus laid down his life and gave himself up on the cross for you and me, we have been given all the promises of God. We have inherited eternal life from Jesus, and we can come after him as his children, and God anoints us as his ambassadors, as his light. How many know he was the light that came into the darkness, but Jesus turns it around and says, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Woo! You have Jesus in you. Because of his faithfulness, we are more than victorious. Amen? And God has anointed us. In that way, our legacy is linked to the destiny of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Listen, God will see your faithfulness in your life, and he will bless you. He will bless your family. He will, he will make your legacy a legacy that will last. Think of this. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are now part of the legacy of Jesus Christ. You're part of his family line. You answer to a new name, and all the promises of God are yours, all curses, all curses. Listen to me carefully. All curses, both generational and spiritual, are broken when you become a child of God. I'm sick and tired of people talking about Christians like they got generational curses. No, you do not. If you gave your life to Jesus, there is no more curse. The curse of sin has been broken in your life. You're not under a curse. Don't let anybody tell you that. You believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. trust in Him only that all the curses are broken. Man, you are destined for great things. God has ordered your steps. You, you don't have to live like your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather. In fact, you don't have to have any godliness or, or righteousness in your entire family line, as far as you can think of. But if you had to think all the way back. All right, think all the way back. But God will bless you because of your decision to follow him. Esau wasn't like his father. He was a good king, the Bible says. A good king who loved God and did what was right. That's a choice we've been given too. We may not have come from great line, but because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to do good, to walk with God, to love God. Ultimately, your decisions will determine your destiny. How many know that? What you decide to do in your life will determine your destiny. How you act and react to the events of life will define you. Therefore, let's not play the part of victims, but let's play the part of victors. Amen? Man, I got to tell you, we, we got to stop our complaining. We got we to gotta stop shouting to the world how people have hurt us and how we've been slighted and how we're frustrated with everybody. We need to stop that, Christian. You aren't a victim, you are a victor in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to shout anything, tell everybody how, how privileged you are to be a child of God. Tell people how blessed you are to know Jesus, where you're headed, in the things that you have been given, and the promises that have been told to you. Shout that from the rooftops. Remember, you are not defined by what you have done wrong, but by what Jesus Christ has done right for you. His righteousness, that defines you. Galatians 5.24 says those who belong to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. That's our submission to God. And that is both our destiny and His legacy. What He did on the cross... And how we react to it and respond to it becomes our legacy. Let this be the moment you step into your destiny. And let's begin to sit in the presence of the Lord and to ask him, who am I? Who am I? Who is my family that you should be so good to us? God, that you should promise us these things. Oh, God, you're good. There's no one like you. I haven't even heard of anyone as good as you. Amen? And when we do that, we begin this lifelong journey of self-discovery that will last until we reach heaven and we receive that white stone with that new name engraved.